0: We're starting a new series this morning about the parables of Jesus. But before we dig into that, I want to tell you a story or kind of paint a picture in your mind. Imagine a young and -and up-and-coming politician. I mean, here's a guy that he he seems to have things figured out. And when he gives a speech, people really tend to listen. They say, this is a guy with answers. This is a guy that knows what he's talking about. I think this might be... The one. This might be the guy. This might be the guy that's going to turn things around for our nation and we're really excited about this guy. And so the more he made speeches, the more people started to listen to him. And and just imagine what that would be like. But as usually happens probably some opposition would arise, right? And people would say, no, no, listen to him, listen to us. He doesn't have the answers. We do. And so as opposition starts to arise, there have become more and more of people that are caught in the middle, undecided voters, as it were, people that are saying, you know, I, I used to think this was the guy and maybe I was going to hitch my wagon to him and, and maybe he was the one that was going to turn things around for the country. But but now these other guys that are saying, no, 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 they, they seem to make Make a lot of sense too, and so there's people caught in the middle. And then maybe a big speech is coming up, and this young up and coming politician is gonna have his first nationally televised speech and his supporters, his his team, his campaign team says, Listen. This is going to be a good speech, and he's going to get back to what he was teaching in the beginning and what his his speeches were all about. People are really going to listen to this, and, and you know, hopefully some of those undecided voters will come over to our side, and maybe even some of the opposition will change their mind and come over to our side. And then imagine if that up-and-coming politician, and the, everybody's nervous about what he's going to say, he gets on television and maybe makes a few opening remarks, but then he says, listen, There was a man, and he bought a dog, and the dog licked his hand. And then there was a woman who bought a cat, and the cat ran away. And there was a man who bought a snake, and the snake was slimy, and it ate mice. And there was a woman who bought a horse, and the horse died. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. (laughs) And that was it, right? I mean, what would you think about a politician like that? Well, what would you, if you were part of the campaign team, what would you say to a guy like that? Wouldn't you afterwards go to him and say, what was that all about? What's that about horses and snakes and dogs and cats? What were you talking about? You're confusing people. People didn't know what you meant by that. I'm sure you had a point, but nobody got your point. Nobody knows what you're talking about. Why do you speak to them like that? I want you to hold on to that picture. Because that's going to help you to understand why Jesus' apostles were asking him, why do you teach in parables? Why are you talking to the people like this? They wanted to know, why does Jesus speak in parables? Why is Jesus, after teaching so plainly and clearly in the past, he switches gears and starts teaching in parables, why? And not only do they need to know the reason why, you need to know the reason why. If you love Jesus, you want to know Jesus, and you want to understand what his ministry was all about, then we will ask, why did Jesus talk in parables, and how can we better understand those parables? We're going to be in the Gospel account of Matthew, and I just kind of want to walk you up to chapter 13 just a little bit before we dig into the text this morning. But again, keep that story in mind that we just talked about. But think about how Matthew kind of lays out this Gospel account. And so he begins in the very first chapter, chapter 1, by introducing Jesus as the king, right? He is the, the Christ, the Messiah, God's anointed king. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the rightful heir to the Davidic throne. Praise God, hail to the king. The king is finally here. All of your waiting and your longing has finally been answered. God has sent The King. And so from the very beginning of the Gospel account of Matthew, Matthew makes it very clear to introduce us to Jesus and that Jesus is the King. He's introduced as the King in his genealogy. He's introduced as the King by angels. He's introduced as the King by scribes. He's introduced as the King by wise men. He's introduced as the King by prophets. He's even introduced by God himself as God speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then in chapter 4, Jesus, the Messiah, goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. Does that sound familiar? Wilderness and 40? Like the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus, Israel's representative, goes and wanders in the wilderness, as it were, for 40 days. But unlike Israel, who was unfaithful in the wilderness, Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God, and he resists the temptations of Satan in the wilderness, and he says no to Satan, and yes, to obedience and faithfulness, and to his Father in heaven. And then we get to chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we've been talking about in our Sunday evening series. I hope you'll be back tonight. Mark Bryson and I are going to talk a little bit more about the Sermon on the Mount, but Think about that for just a second. Jesus, the Messiah, goes up onto the mountain to teach Israel God's commandments, God's law, right? Does it sound a whole lot like Moses? I think it's supposed to, right? And so Jesus goes up onto the mountain and he teaches the people, not that Moses didn't know what he was talking about, but that they weren't really following Moses. They weren't really following what the law told them to do. And then after the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 8 through 10, Jesus demonstrates His authority. That Jesus has authority over everything. Jesus has authority over sin. Jesus has authority over nature. He can tell the storms to be quiet. Stop. He can tell the wind and the waves to stop. He can heal diseases. He has authority over diseases and over demons. And He even has authority over death itself and raises the dead life. And then near the end of that section, he sends out his twelve to Israel to have authority over the same things, to heal the sick and raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, and to cast out demons. But then in chapters 11 and 12, we begin to see the opposition that arises, especially in the form of the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees were so used to rejecting the message of God the true heart of the message of God, that when the message himself showed up in flesh, the word of God became flesh, then of course they rejected him as well. So much so that these Pharisees could listen to the things Jesus was saying, could look at the things that he was doing, could see the miracles and hear the words And anybody with eyes to see and ears to hear could say, this one is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but not the Pharisees and not those who were like the Pharisees. They looked at what Jesus was doing and they said, we don't want any part of that. In fact, they went so far as to say his miracles were not the work of God's Holy Spirit, but were the work of the devil. And Jesus says, listen, if you can listen to my words, and you can see the authority that I have over disease and over death and over nature and all of these things, if you can see that with your eyes and you can ascribe that power to Satan rather than to the Spirit of God, then you are committing a sin that is unforgivable. In other words, you're in this state beyond hope because you can't see who's standing Right in front of you. You don't recognize me for who I am and you are trying to destroy me. Look at, or not look at, but Matthew chapter 12 and verse 14 says, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So that's kind of the, the build up to chapter 13. That's where we find ourselves in this gospel account. So Jesus begins by teaching plain and clear and telling people, hey, This is what the kingdom of God is all about. If you want to be a part of the kingdom, this is the kind of person that you'll be. Here's the kind of conduct that you need to conduct yourself in. If you want to be a part of the kingdom, everything is plain. Everything is clear. He demonstrates his power and authority for all to see. And then in chapter 13, things kind of change just a little bit. And Jesus switches gears. So look at verse 1 that same day, and again, that same day when the opposition was arising, when, when they were claiming that his miracles were the work of the devil, and he was telling them that that was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables saying. Now again, this is kind of the third teaching uh section of the book of Matthew. The first section was the Sermon on the Mount. And again, Jesus couldn't have been clearer or plainer in the Sermon on the Mount. He taught exactly what he meant and everybody knew exactly what he meant. But then he begins this sermon by saying, a sower went out to sow. Right? I mean, now, if you were just sitting there and you were expecting this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. If you were expecting something like that, you might have been surprised when he begins. A sower went out to sow. A farmer was in his field. In other words, and as he sowed, some seed fell among or fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But then when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Right? Right? Now, we probably, if you're familiar with the Bible and you've read through all of this already, like most of us have, you probably already know what Jesus is talking about. And so you're not surprised to hear what he's saying. But if you had been sitting there, you would have been as confused as in my story when I talked about the horse and the dog and the cat and the snake. You would say, what is he talking about? And why is he talking like that? What's with the story? What does he mean by that? Why doesn't he just tell us what he means? Why doesn't he just speak clearly? Why doesn't he just teach what's with the riddles? And that's how you would have thought of parables if you had been sitting there as a part of Jesus' original audience. You would have thought, well, this is a riddle. And what's with the riddles? You see, we have a tendency to think of parables as sermon illustrations. That they weren't so much sermon illustrations, at least not these parables in this context. In this context, they worked more like riddles. And the apostles wanted to know the same thing you would want to know. Why? Why are you speaking to people like this? They don't understand what you mean. They're confused by it. They're getting angry about it, wouldn't it? The opposition people? The Pharisees and the scribes, don't you suppose they'd be angry and say, well, just tell us what you mean so we can trap you. Just tell us what you mean so we can we can use your words against you. And instead, you're just telling a story about a farmer. I don't get it. What are you talking about? And Jesus' apostles were very confounded by the fact that he didn't just tell them plainly what he meant. So, look at verse 11. He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. See, that's what Jesus was doing in his ministry and his work. That's what he's doing in these parables, is revealing to them, shedding light on the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we think kingdom of heaven, don't think heaven necessarily. Think the reign of heaven What everybody was supposed to be waiting for, right? This is Israel, and they were supposed to be waiting for this new and glorious kingdom when God would send the the descendant of David to set up and inaugurate and reign over the kingdom that was from heaven. Not a kingdom like a kingdom of man. Not a kingdom like the kingdoms of the earth. Not a kingdom that was established in the ways of worldliness, but a kingdom that was like no other. A kingdom that would be everlasting. A kingdom that was from God Himself. And Jesus says, listen, to you, my disciples, you get to know what the secrets are all about. To you it has been revealed, but to them, to the crowds, to the Pharisees, to those that reject, to those that scoff, it has not been given. Verse 12, for to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So Jesus says, there's two kinds of people in Israel. There's two kinds of people in the world. There's two kinds of people that are listening to my sermons. There are those that have, and there are those that have not. The ones that have, they'll get even more. They'll have an abundance. But those that have not, even what they have will be taken from them. So there's a good question. What do they have? What do these guys have that those guys don't have? I think if you will look at the whole text, what Jesus is saying is, you have ears to hear and eyes to see. A heart that's open and willing to accept the message, and they don't have that. And those that don't have that, even what they have will be taken from them. I mean, think about who the Pharisees were. They thought they were the pinnacle of God's kingdom. They thought they were the pinnacle of God's people. They thought that when the Messiah showed up, he'd say, man, Pharisees, thanks for holding down the fort for us. You know, I mean, thanks for the great job you've done. Come and sit at my right hand. They thought that's how the Messiah would treat them. But instead, Jesus shows up and says, no, unless you change Unless you repent, unless you become like little children, unless you admit that you don't have it all together, unless you admit that you're sick and you need a doctor, unless you admit that you're broken and you need healing, unless you admit that you're sinful and you need pardon, then you have no place in the kingdom of God. Even what you have or what you think you have will be taken from you. And think about it, too, in terms of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Again, there he teaches so plain and clear. And so if we use that to help us to understand what Jesus is saying here, I think it will be helpful. Jesus says, listen, the kingdom will be given to people who are what? Poor in spirit." The people that are poor in spirit, the people that have poverty of spirit, the people that have meekness, the people that have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be given more. They will have an abundance. What will they be given? They'll be given the kingdom of God. They'll be given the names, sons of God. They'll be given comfort. They'll be given satisfaction. That's what they'll be given. But the people that don't have these things that don't have kingdom characteristics, that don't have poverty of spirit, and don't have meekness, and don't have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, people that are satisfied with their own self-righteousness, even what they have will be taken from them. There's two kinds of people. Those that have, and they'll receive more. Those that have not, and even what they have will be taken from them. Look at verse 13. This is why. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, and hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you'll indeed see, but never perceive. Write down in the margin of your Bible, if you do that kind of thing, Isaiah chapter 6, and go and read Isaiah chapter 6, and listen to what God said to Isaiah. God said, who's going to go for us? Who, who am I going to send out? And Ger- Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. I'll go. And God says, good. Go to them. And you preach to them, but they're not going to listen to you. Preach to them, but they're not going to understand, and they're not going to hear. In fact, go to them and say, I'm going to keep on preaching, but you're not going to Listen. I'm going to go on preaching, but it's not going to matter because your heart is made up, your mind is made up, and you are on a journey to destruction. Isaiah says, how long? How long do I go and preach to a hard-hearted people that won't listen to me and go and preach a message that says you're not going to listen to me? And the Lord says, until the cities are laid waste. But there will be a remnant of people that will hear that will listen, that will be faithful. So that's what Jesus is doing here in His preaching ministry. He's saying to them, I'm preaching to you in a way that you're not going to hear, that you're not going to understand. And it really is an act of judgment, isn't it? He's saying to them, you, to you, it has not been given, it has not been revealed, but to my disciples, it has been revealed. To those who have... Ears to hear, and eyes to see, and a heart to receive. Look at verse 15. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. In other words, they're capable of being hearers. They're capable of being listeners. They're capable of seeing. They're capable of understanding, but they're not willing. And they haven't been willing for a very long time. And the fact that I showed them my power and that I preached to them my sermons, the fact that they looked at that and listened to that and said, I don't want to have any part of you, you're not the Son of God, shows that they're not hearers, that they can't see that they don't understand. And so that's why I'm preaching to them in parables. He says, this people's heart has grown dull. Let me ask you a pointed question. Let's think about something for a second. Has your heart grown dull? Has my heart grown dull? Church, listen, they lived in a time where their religious tradition distracted them from God Himself And a distracted people is a people whose heart grows dull. Let me say that one more time. A distracted people is a people whose heart grows dull. They have trained themselves not to be listeners. They have trained themselves not to be hearers. They have trained themselves not to be learners. Do we live in a culture like that? Are we a people like that? Am I a person like that? Are you a person like that? Now, it used to be, I've heard stories back in the day, how people would hold, preachers would hold two-week gospel meetings. For two weeks, people would come and listen to the gospel being preached, and there wasn't no 15, 20-minute sermons. I mean, now be careful when you say amen here in just a second, but <laughs> last, last, first service did that. But that's what we want, isn't it? 15, 15 be careful. That's what we want. But why? Why do we want the sermon cut down and as little as possible? Say, preacher, I can't listen for more than a few minutes. I get distracted. I can't listen. I can't hear. We have trained our hearts to be dull. Haven't we? So it's so hard to listen. It's so hard to pay attention. Our eyes can barely see and our ears can barely hear and our heart can't understand because we haven't trained ourselves to be listeners, to be hearers, to see with our eyes and understand with our hearts. The people of Jesus' day, the people of Isaiah's day, they could hear the message. They could see the power But they didn't get it. It wasn't that they weren't capable of it. It's that they weren't willing to train their hearts, to train their ears, to train their eyes. So Jesus says, you want to know why I talk to them in riddles? To prove that. To prove that that's who they are. Now Jesus was willing to explain the parable. He was willing to explain the meeting when his disciples came and said, well, what's that all about? Jesus said, I'll tell you what it's about. Because you see me for who I am. You hear and you understand. Your heart gets it. This doesn't mean they always understood the parables or always understood what Jesus was talking about or what His plan was, but they saw that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the people with closed minds and hearts and ears and eyes could not see who was standing right in front of them. Look at verse 16. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear and didn't hear it. For thousands of years... We've been waiting for the King to come, Jesus is saying. The prophets were longing for this day. The righteous and the faithful were longing for this day. And here I am, God in the flesh, the Word of God become flesh, the Messiah, the King, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. I'm here. And they don't get it. They don't see me for who I am. They hear my words and they don't listen. But you do you see Jesus for who He is. You hear Him and you hear His words and you say, that brings me hope. I want to put my faith and my trust in that King. I want Him to heal me. I want Him to pardon me. I want Him to deliver me. I want to be where He is. That's a disciple of Jesus. So the question this morning for you and for me is, do you have ears to hear? You see, we live in a day, and I don't think it's unique. I think everybody that's ever lived always was, was in it for what I can get out of it, right? I mean, when Jesus showed up and he fed people bread, they said, hey, that's cool, free lunch, right? And they got in line. They said, I want some of that, right? When, when Jesus was healing the sick, they said, I've got some sick people, heal them. When Jesus was casting out demons, hey, I know a guy that's demon-possessed. Heal him. Drive out the demon. I want you to do something for me. But when Jesus said, listen, this is what it means to be a follower of mine. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom. Well, then suddenly, what's that? I I don't quite get it, right? I, I can't hear you. They didn't have ears to hear. Everybody wants a savior. Not everybody wants a king. Do you have ears to listen to our King? Do you have eyes to see our King? Do you have a heart to understand our King? Are you saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Are you digging into his word to say, teach me more. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to hear you. Are you saying, fix, fix my ears, Lord, so that they hear. Fix my eyes, Lord. So that they see. Soften my heart, Lord, so that it understands. Or are we so distracted? Are we so distracted with the dinging on our phone and our growling tummies and everything else going on in our world that we don't have ears to hear? That's our challenge for today and this week. And our life is to have ears to hear our King. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't yet begun that journey with the King. That's what we're saying when we're baptized into Jesus, isn't it? That's what we're saying when we die to sin and we're buried with Jesus in baptism. We say, I see you, Lord. I see you for who you are. I hear you, Lord. I hear what you're saying. I hear that it's your goodness and your righteousness and your blood that can take away my sins. I hear that you save and that you forgive. And I want to be where you are. I want to follow you. I don't get it all yet. I don't understand it all yet, but I want want to be in your kingdom, Lord. And maybe there's somebody here that needs to begin that journey by being buried with Jesus in baptism, or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. We're not a part of the kingdom of God because we're moral people. Most of the people that saw Jesus for who He was and heard what He was really saying and understood what He was saying weren't the religious of the religious. They weren't the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers They were the prostitutes and the tax collectors. They were the sick that knew they needed a physician and understood that that's what Jesus had to offer. We're not a part of the kingdom because we're good or we're moral. We're perfect. We have great understanding. We're part of the kingdom because we see Jesus for who He is. And if you see Jesus for who He is, and you want to be a part of this, or we can help you, encourage you in any way, there's a room in the back. Elders would love to pray with you after service, or you can come forward as together we stand and sing.